I was given a skateboard for Christmas when I was around six. And then there was actually a skate park opened up uh, when I was around seven. And I got a membership to that. And I learned that I had a natural aptitude for it. And then um, I kind of, based on, you know, whatever was going on and where we were living in, in my life, I, I kind of put it to the side for a little bit and I mm. got more into BMX. And so I was always kind of into sort of going fast and jumping over things. <laughs> and, and then I picked it back up again when I was 15. And then I, I went pretty deep into it at that point. And I kind of got way more serious and started skating ramps and, and learning how to skate all the different types of terrain. And then eventually I, I started getting pretty good and I started actually riding with and competing with the people that I looked up to in magazines. Mm-hmm. And then I, I found that I was making, tempting to make my way up the ranks and getting sponsored and mm-hmm. traveling and doing demos and, and, uh, endorsements and stuff like that. And then, um, and I had, I ended up having like one really bad sort of like catastrophic, uh, leg injury and that. To a fall. Yeah. 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 And that kind of, I mean, there was numerous injuries over the years, but this one was like the one that, that, uh, brought it all to a crashing end. They add up after time, I suspect. Oh, well, I am testament. Yeah. I can, yeah. yeah right now it's like getting out of bed is like, you know, I kind of have like that old aging football, uh, football player thing happening yeah. right now where it's just like the amount of soreness is like kind of ridiculous, but it's just sort it's sort of like, I would like, you know, not to sound all macho, but I wouldn't have traded it. Like for everything that I experienced and, and like all of the excitement and the endorphins and the, and the intensity over the years, it's just sort of like the trade off that you, you kind of have to put up with. So you stopped doing it in your teens? No, this was early twenties. Okay. Yeah. It's um, still been a long, long period of time, but you're still carrying those, uh, those battle scars with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, oddly enough, it's, I mean, the, the the funny part of the story, the biggest ironic part of the story is, is that I was, my, my life was so immersed in that. Mm. And as soon as it came, it literally came to a crashing end. And I immediately ch- started channeling. Once I knew for a fact it wasn't going to operate at that yeah. intensity anymore, I took all that energy and started pouring it into music and like learning how to like record and write. And, and I was super lucky that I had something that I could kind of pass the baton mm-hmm. off to. So that's how it played out. And, uh, and I continued, eventually I got the big, uh, surgery that enabled my knee to start acting like a normal knee again. Mm. And then after years of rehab, I started writing again, but like just really sort of like you know, on, a, on a funner, kind of more recreational, like less seriousness and with no intention of like getting it back or whatever. That would have been a terrible so. idea. Right? <laughs> I mean, you say, you, you said literally years of rehab. Like, yeah, I no, can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and then because of that, I got, I started getting more and more into cycling again, building up my leg strength yeah. and, uh, and, um, but then, yeah, it was like skateboarding has never really left my life. It's like I still have – and even at this point, you know, I have friends in 40s and even up into the 50s who still ride like kind of casually and stuff. Yeah. You know, meet up, you know, drink some coffees and roll around at the park for, you know, half an hour and then call it good. It's an interesting thing about your teen years though that you could have such a passion for something and then just kind of give it up and, and then try something else. Like it's a period in your life when you're able to do that. But it yeah, sounds like you, yeah. were, you were pushing – you were pumping everything in skateboard and then you're like, eh, I'm going to do BMX for a little while. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, when I was really young, I was just, you know, it was like whatever was available. Sure. It's just, and if you're lucky when you're a little kid, you know, you just, you find those outlets in the first place. I mean, the thing that saddens me the most, you know, when I hear about all these kind of like, you know, wayward, I just find it's really important for kids to find these confidence building mm-hmm. activities that give them self-esteem and, you know, give them confidence. There's actually this, there's a, there's a certain Instagram site and it's something like, you know, it's like bad girls. It's like mug shots of girls that have gone to jail. <laughs> and it's kind of sort of funny as it could be. I actually look at that and I, it's just like so sad to me. It's like mm. every single one yep. of those kids just didn't have, didn't find that sure. one thing that was going to sort of like lift them up and empower them and just, you know, teach them confidence and, just, you know, teach them how to figure you know, figure out problems and, and, you know, go to the dark side. What role was music playing in your life up to that point? It was a very specific moment. A very specific thing happened and you were able to transfer that energy. But was music important yeah, in the mean, same I, way previously? I think that, 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 trans, that immediate point was more about like I'm going to no longer kind of sit by and – like I want to, I want to be part of it. Mm. I'm going to immerse myself in it. But I mean, but up until that point, were you playing at all? Yeah, like I, I started off as a drummer when I was really young. You know, I, I played drums in high school, and then I, I had a, you know, I had drum sets. Like when I was a kid, it was like that was my first instrument. I had a lot of interest in music. I played. I just dabbled a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have any proper lessons or anything, but there always seemed to be like some instruments laying around. And I have a feeling, I have a suspicion that if any one of those things would have been forced upon me. It mm-hmm. would have been a completely different outcome. But yeah. I think just because in my because of my personality, I think. And my mom likes to take a little credit for it. You know, she said that she would watch me from a distance and, and see that I had interest and she would just kind of like place things in front of me. <laughs> you know? You would wake up with drumsticks under your pillow when Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> which I think is a great yeah. it's a great strategy, you know. Like let the kids think that they discovered it on their own, and it's, there's something a little bit more special about it. I think when we're in our you know early mid twenties, we're all looking around anyway. You know, we're all yeah. we're all basically trying to figure our purpose in life. That's not a yeah. that's not a unique story from from that standpoint. Did you feel lost at that point? I I definitely put all my eggs in one basket mm-hmm. with skateboarding, and there was I I kind of had to make a decision that it was all or nothing. There was yeah. like there was no safety net. And if for some reason it didn't work out, I was screwed. And that's kind of where I found myself. You were screwed for a little while. Yeah. And, and I literally, you know, I was having withdrawals. Like I just, I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I was having nightmares. Like, I, like there was a part of my life that was, I was so driven and so in it. And like, you know, I ate, slept, breathed either at the time or like, or what's coming up. It was just like, every, it was like, you know, I was pretty much obsessed. It was, it was just all consuming in my life. So with that gone, I was obviously a little lost. And I, I was actually back at my parents' house, just kind of healing, just wondering what the heck is next. And, uh, it's, I think it probably wasn't even a year. I was probably within mm-hmm. a year. I realized for my own sanity and for my own sake of survival, you know, I needed to start pouring all of that into something. And you needed something to obsess over. Kind of. Yeah. 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 And I may have really lucked out too, because that was right around the time where it started becoming more of a reality. I'm not even sure what made me decide that was going to be music, but, but there's probably like not a whole lot of other things that could have been. But I think that in the place where I lucked out was 
was the fact that home recording gear was becoming that much more accessible and that much more affordable. And like the idea of like having your own little home studio made up of a few hundred dollars worth of gear was completely realistic. I just started, um, yeah, I just started working random jobs. I started acquiring gear like one Mm -hmm. piece at a time. Eventually I had, I got this really strange job, um, through one of my girlfriend's dad. It was like a, it was like a hazardous waste, uh, it was like an industrial waste treatment company that would go on site to like these big corporations and clean their wastewater. You had to wear the hazmat suit? All of it. Yeah. All of it. All kinds of certifications and stuff. And he kind of went out on a limb to get me this job. I was pretty young. I was the youngest guy on the crew, but, um, I made really good money and all I did was like buy musical gear with that. Like I just like, I didn't really live anywhere. We, we would, uh, we had different accounts. So we'd stay in hotels. So I'd like saved a lot of money, but all I did was just like sock away money and just like buy gear, sock away money, buy gear. So it it didn't feel like a hobby at any point. Music. I mean, it sounded like something that you were like, this is, this is the going to be the next, this is my next job. Yeah. 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 That's no, that's interesting that you, I mean, it, it probably was. There was like years where I was dabbling. Sure. But when you're literally like pouring all of your money into it and, you know, and it sounds like you're buying things that like a hobbyist doesn't necessarily need, but a professional musician does. Yeah. And doing research, you know, yeah. searching out recording magazines and learning what you need to like, and just studying, like probably listening to music differently at that point where I'm just like more, it's more of like a, you know, research in addition to enjoying like, you know, yeah. I, you know, I could be listening to the Pixies and just be going, yeah, this is great. The energy sure. is incredible. But I'm like, how did they get that sound? Yeah. Like, how do I do that? When you're skateboarding, there's kind of a pretty objective measure of whether you're good at it right i mean you know it's it's pretty clear you know if you're if you can like land a trick the crowds all of these things it's pretty it's pretty clear whether or not you're a good skateboarder yeah. music is it's a lot more subjective at what point was it clear to you that you were good enough that this could actually be a thing you could do professionally well i will make one point though because one of the things i loved about skateboarding was there's so much room for like there's so many different skateboarders sure. had different styles and they had like some are like super sketchy and they mm-hmm. could they could pull all kinds of like really insane stuff. And there were some who were like super smooth and it was like a real joy. It's like ballet. It's like like you could really kind of tell their personality by the way that they skated. Where did you where did you fall? Um, I was, I was definitely, I was, I wasn't, I had, I think I was, had more of an emphasis on being smooth and like having like a, mm-hmm. a good style. Like I wasn't really interested in like super high airs and like, you know, tons of flips. And like, I actually when I was at my peak, like, you know, the 540 and like the 720s had, hadn't even come yeah. around yet. It was more, it's like, are you into airs or are you into lip tricks? Like lip tricks mm-hmm. is like the more technical stuff on the coping and stuff. But I was definitely, I was leaning more towards the less, the less, uh, the less pompous, less jockey. You're more of a street than vert. No, no, no. It was like, no, I was like, if anything, I love the fluidity mm. of like, you know, skating parks and skating vert. And so, I mean, there was plenty of errors. It was, and plenty of like, plenty of technical stuff, but it was, uh, I was, I was more into the, the kind of, you know, the poetic and like, and the way that you know, certain pros would assemble their, you know, their routines or their, well, they call them lines. It's like you put together a line or you put together, um, a routine or whatever. It's like the tricks that they, I mean, you can choose to do any one number of tricks, but the ones who liked, there were certain tricks kind of like said 
certain things about people would lean towards certain ways of skating. And I was definitely into the more kind of artsy yeah. sort of weirdo guys than, than like the ridiculous sort of like, you know, guys that are out to get the chicks and go as high as they could. But it was definitely something that you, you knew that you were good at. Like you said, you knew that you had an acumen for it. Like you knew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd pushed through enough different levels and then like everything started coming together. It's like, yeah. It's like I'd got all the basics down. The, the ability level was like I wasn't doubting that anymore. I actually got to a point where I was just like – and it's kind of a, an amazing point that you get to with some things where it's just like – it's like you could just decide what you want to do. It's like, oh, that's the trick I want to do. Mm-hmm. So you just like – you just kind of hunker down and you learn that trick. It's no longer like, wow, I wonder if I could ever do something like that. Like you just start deciding this is what you want to do and then you start doing that trick. But it just you know, it takes a bit of practice and stuff. I mean, was music the same way from that standpoint that, you know, you listen to the Pixies and I, I feel like it was, there's so one of the things I'm really is still interesting to me. And I've seen like a multitude of times over the years is like how many parallels do exist with, um, with skateboarding and like the mind and body working together hmm. and yeah, the, the creativity thing, creativity, but then, but then like grace under pressure and like how smooth yet how like intense you know things can be at the same time it's yeah i i mean i'm i'm constantly and have constantly over the years found so many parallels with skateboarding and music do, do you think that the new record scratches a similar itch from that standpoint the songwriting process is less two three four minute songs and it's more about are we talking about this last uh yeah this last thing that got made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the thing, the thing that we're here to talk about. <laughs> yeah. It does seem like it's more of a product of being in the moment though. And, and it does seem to be, if you're going to make a comparison to these two different styles of skateboarding, it does seem to be more of that sort of smoother, more freeform version. Yeah. I, I mean, I had no, absolutely no problem going back and forth between, you know, some Beethoven sonatas and I'm saying that even back when I was in high school, mm. you know, I had an equal affinity for, for really beautiful, slow, dreamy, lush music. You mean playing or just enjoying? Just enjoying. Okay. You know, to like. That would be an entirely different conversation if you were just. Yeah. Had no. an affinity for playing Beethoven but, sonatas. I mean, it was, it was important for me to realize that back then. Yeah. I mean, I think I just realized it on accident. You know, I love Metallica. I love mm. Suicidal Tendencies, you know, Fear, you know, Dead Kennedys, Punk Rock, you know, high energy music that Which you want to very hear. much was the music of, of skating at the time. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, but then I had this whole other part of me, you know, when I'd go home, which I loved really lush. Even kind of like slower new wave stuff, but then like, you know, I love classical music. I love, and it was just, if anything, it was probably confusing to me at a point. I was mm. just like, I don't get it. Like who, th- these two worlds trying yeah. to live in my head at the same time. There's, there's not really a through line other than it, that it's music. And it was a, you know, small town, like a small group of friends. I probably didn't have very many people who I could bounce these, where I could share this concern for my uh, conflicting or seemingly mm-hmm. conflicting ideas. Was uh, it a concern? I, I definitely, I had enough music yeah. that was total guilty pleasure. For instance, even to this day, it's like I'm a huge, huge aha fan. Mm-hmm. And there was a big period there where it made absolutely no sense yeah. with like the rest of the music that I listened to. It certainly wasn't the cool thing to be listening to at the time. No, not at all. And there's a, there's, 
a handful of you know other groups and other types of music yeah. that have that have come and gone over the years where like I could say the same thing about I'm just like it makes no sense but like all I can do is applaud myself for just not for just not really giving a beep uh, about what anybody you can swear on the podcast okay, for not giving a fuck what anybody thinks about what I like or don't like it's just like I'm drawn to it and I'm just like and I'm just gonna own it and somehow. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll even find some weird way that AHA actually compares to, you know, Kill 'em All by Metallica. There might actually be some correlations there that that are just not too obvious. Do you you feel like part of your job as a songwriter or as a music maker is to make those connections? It's fascinating to me. I don't, I don't know if it's my job, but it's Uh, like. But does that play a role in your songwriting? Um, I think I've always been kind of interested, like on a, primal level like why people even like certain things you know like why the why the sound of a snare drum has just turned out to be this thing that we absolutely have to listen to mm-hmm. on every single song like 98 percent of every song that's made and even to the point of just like you know the fascination with like why grocery stores are set up a certain way mm. and, and there's this whole science to like what steers people and it's like how that even carries over into music it's like it's just fascinating to me i guess you know one part of pushing music forward on a a personal and a a larger level is is finding those interesting juxtapositions it's fitting existing things together in new ways yeah yeah and I, i i i just think that i was that type of kid and it's like the fact that i can continue to do this as an adult with like a little bit more wisdom and still keep chasing that weird fascination that I had that started as probably when I was a kid at some unknown point. I'm just kind of rolling with it. Uh, yeah. And I still feel like I've been kind of lucky too, to where I can, you know, nobody's really, nobody's really, uh, made it kind of beat me to a point to where it's like, you know, what, you just need to quit, you know, to stop wasting your time with that. And it like, seems like there were years get, when you need get to get down to business, back away or take a break. Yeah. Though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe I'm just happy that I'm, even here, even saying all this because yeah. the story was actually different for, you know, certain points of, uh, especially after the granddaddy days, I was kind of, I was about as exhausted with all of this as I could have possibly been. But yeah, I got it back, you know. Did you feel on a personal level done with music, at least for a while? It just wasn't that f- the fun had been kind of sucked out of it. Yeah. You metaphorically fell off your skateboard? Yeah. And it just like, it just kept hurt. It hurt too much to like keep falling. <laughs> Financially or in terms of like growing as a band, in terms of actually making the music? It was there was there was a period there towards the end of Granddaddy where all it was was like this big treadmill. It was yeah. just it would and it just would not stop. And the demands it's funny because for a while there we the, we had this joke. Somehow we'd always end up in the press. It's like the band always on the verge of greatness. And, um, not on the verge of success, but on the verge of greatness. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. and my response to that was like, I would, I would never have wanted to be more popular. Like yeah. the popularity that we got was too much for me. Like if, like if it was any more than that, it's like, who knows, you know, what a mess I would have turned into. But I just, I know that I couldn't handle, and that's just me. That's just the sort of person that I am. Are, are you prone to self-sabotage? Well, I just, I need a lot of alone time. I need, you know, I, my restorative, the thing that I figured out about myself is I, I need the outdoors. I need yeah. nature. I need 
I need silence. I need that restorative time to kind of make it all make sense, make the bigger picture make sense. I had a John Roderick on the show a while ago, and we spoke about the differences between introversion and extroversion. And I always sort of thought of it as, you know, almost like how you behave at a party, right? Whether you're introverted or extroverted. And, you know, he told me that he considered himself an introvert, which is surprising because, you know, he's like not only somebody who gets up on stage and sings and podcasts and all these things, but he's like very much a raconteur. And he said, you know, to him, the difference is that, yeah, you can do all those things, but then you need to go home and recharge, which it sounds like you're in a similar boat where you can kind yeah. of like perform and obviously, you know, speak well and, and, and with introspection about these things. But then at a certain point, you just need to like cut it all off and recharge the batteries. Yeah, I, I mean... This is, I had two things to do today. So, if, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I've been doing this long enough now to where I actually know yeah. how to pace myself. And I'll probably go really quiet after this, you know, and I'm gacked out on coffee right yeah. now too. So, but I'll, yeah, I'll, I will definitely, you know, this will be a big day. I did like an hour and a half thing before this mm. and I'm doing this and that's a big day for me. Like all that, all that sort of pouring out my thoughts and, and, um, yeah, I'll get some rest and then, and I'll be fine tomorrow. But like, I used to not know the limits. Yeah. It was, it was, it, and it just went and went and went and went. And when you're on, when you're in a van with a bunch of people touring around doing show to show, there's no, there's no time to really get away. No, no time to get away. And, and even I think a, another big misconception too, is that, you know, you just, you get there, you play the show, but it just, it never ended for me. It was like, you yeah. get there, you get out, people want to talk before the show, you set up all your stuff, you're just like hoping everything's going to work. You pour your heart into the show and you break down your stuff and people want to talk to you while you're breaking down your stuff. And then like you get all your stuff packed away and then people just want to, and, and it's actually not really even quality communicate it's yeah. just like there it's all it is is like people asking questions it's just like questions questions there's this the superficial stuff that people want to know but also because you know you write songs and you do interviews uh, people don't really understand boundaries i suspect yeah you definitely get a lot of those given inch take a mile or something. yeah yeah <laughs> and i really respect the ones who do respect the boundaries yeah so thank you <laughs> Whoever you are out there. <laughs> is songwriting, is that part of the re recharging process or, I mean, does that, does that sap your energy too? Um, the recording can be pretty, can be pretty exhausting. Mm. Just, just because you get to a point where you have really, really high hopes for a song and there's like this, yeah. there's this. It's a certain way in your head. Yes. If you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky, you're starting off with it being a certain way in your head. And then you're just chasing that down. And like the process of chasing it down, there's all of these really frightening periods where you're just like, you're like, I've just, I am delusional. There's nothing here. I'm like, this is a wild goose chase. I'm, just, I'm not actually going to end up with anything yeah. here. And you're, and you're literally like paying by the hour. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate. Yeah. Like I've done, I've had all my own studios. I do all the recordings okay. myself, but it's, but it's just, it's wanting to, be not i'm not actually one of those people that records 100 songs and mm -hmm. just like picks like the best 50 like i i kind of i my narrowing down process happens and i'm like all right this 12 right here i'm gonna put everything i possibly can into them, making sure that they're as good as it can be which so, is all the more frustrating if one of them doesn't make it all the way just high hopes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some some of them come together easier than others and it's just those ones that just don't want to but I've, I've there's enough situations where it's like I had to work so hard and finally it worked out. It's like I didn't give up on it. Yeah. And, but knowing that is kind of frustrating too, because it just makes you not want to give up on any of them. And 
sometimes that you should maybe just give up on it. <laughs> Do you think the ones that you like were particularly difficult end up being the better ones at the end of the day? Um, it's, it's impossible to say. I mean, they're nice stories, but they're frustrating at the same time. Like you hear the, the, the most famous one is probably the, uh, the Keith Richards satisfaction one, right? Where he like mm-hmm. wakes up in the middle of the night and he hums a riff into, and then, you know, he has a song in the morning. You hear these ideas about people just getting like, you know, divine intervention or something and just being able to channel the music. And that makes it really frustrating on those days when it does feel like you're banging your head against a wall. Yeah. I think there's something to be said though for, and this happens to me a lot. Well, you'll, you'll just get like, if, even if it's just like a little spark or, you know, lightning in the bottle mm. or whatever, like, and I do get a lot of those. And it's usually that in that in between wake and sleep period where it's like, I hear it's like, like I'm sitting there listening to the radio or I'm listening to somebody play this thing. I'm like, man, that's awesome. What is that? That's so cool. And then I wake up. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that's mine. And they, you know, I'd like run down to the phone yeah. or like whatever my recording medium yeah. is. And if you could just capture that, yeah. I feel like half the battle is like won because it's come from like this magical place that you know you could sit there and scare, stare at a screen all day, you know, or like, you know, or read through google news or whatever and just try to you know get some inspiration from wherever or go for a walk but i'm just like man you got it you have like this distilled magic thing just like visited you you know in this in this uh so it's kind of your responsibility to kind of harvest those little nuggets i yeah i have a bunch of them just a matter of sorting through and and making sense of them you're a runner right yeah currently i have a foot problem which is really Frustrating, but yeah, I've, I got into like distance running. I've heard from a lot of musicians that like that's a really that's a yeah, very meditative yeah. yes, state. Yes, absolutely. Matter of fact, I really fell. I was living in Montana for about eight years, hmm. and I fell in love with trail running, which is even more so. You know, just to be in the woods and out on the trails amongst nobody and like nice scenery. That was that was a big one. That was very something kind of gets unlocked in the brain that when you're just sort of walking around seeing all these familiar devices and items and and you're kind of clamped up in reality and mm-hmm. there's something's just sort of like let's go while running especially running in calmer areas that it's it's uh, I've definitely benefited from do you always need to set parameters or, or constraints on something you know when it's I mean it sounds like that was very much a big part of this record the genesis of it was choosing the two instruments you were going to pick and then making music kind of based on those constraints you'd given yourself. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, to be honest, it was like, this was the first time I've ever done anything like this before. Mm. And, um, once I really kind of settled into the idea of what I was doing, it was actually really, really fun, you know, cause anyone who knows the Roland Juno 60 synthesizer knows that you can get a lot of sounds out of this thing. And it's like, it's, it's an incredible sounding old synthesizer that has, a lot of um, sonic capabilities. So you could do a lot worse. The nylon string guitar, on the other hand, was kind of more... I, I was thinking they were going to be more equal in their contributions, mm. but um, it's definitely more synth-heavy, like the album is. There's something weird about nylon string guitars. It takes them... Like, once you string them, they yeah. have. it takes them weeks to get used to your yeah. environment in your house. As soon as I strung the thing up, the bottom string broke. So I only had five strings. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was five strings. Nylon string guitar, and because I didn't want to restring the whole thing again, yeah. just while acclimated. But um, it was more. It was more. The, originally, the whole thing was inspired just by like the way the two instruments look together. They were just they're, they're really 
pretty. Like they're both like they're both <laughs> and both kind of like aesthetically like I was just saying like I've talked to a lot of musicians. I've never heard somebody say that about an album that it was inspired by how pretty they no, were. No, that was like they, they sat next to each other. I had all my stuff unpacked in this apartment that I was living in and sort of arranged and like the house was tidy and there was two <laughs> instruments that I hadn't quite found a place for yet and they'd been sitting against the wall for a while together this guitar and the synthesizer and color scheme wise they actually looked really nice together and i was just i kept like you know in like random parts of the day i just sort of glance over at them just go man you guys are a good couple this is like this, <laughs> this is you guys are really attractive this is and like beautiful babies yes <laughs> but um to believe it or not that's that's where the idea i was like man might be a cool project to like make something with just you two but i just sort of filed out of the way as like yeah. something i might do someday and probably will never get around to but when aaron my buddy aaron espinoza a danger bird asked me if i wanted to be a part of this project that's when i kind of brought back up that idea i was like oh my god dude how about get this crazy idea of like making an album just made up of just these two instruments and just like because there was an emphasis on no oh, it's you know experimental instrumental record that's done wanted to make sure it wasn't i was out of my comfort zone doing something that i wasn't that was not very typical for me so it worked out good that uh i'd kind of come up with the idea come up with that idea before and i had like a great reason to to see it through with the project with these guys at danger bird how many of those ideas do you feel like are just kind of filed away at any given time there's yeah there's a lot there's a lot with you having the conversation with aaron how quickly did your brain go back to that specific project i mean did you have to mull it over for a few days or was it like right there at top of mind he he had actually asked me if i wanted to be a part of the project before and i i remember i i kind of i was in the middle of moving too so i was a bit flustered i started trying to think of ideas and nothing was really coming to me what, what did he like how did he pitch it to you like you know what was the positioning like what was he looking for other than just a musical contribution from you he actually didn't there was no suggestion okay. as to like he just wanted something kind of experimental I, and but no I, because i do like to have a little bit of focus and like you know some some starting point obviously experimental can mean you know can, sure. could, can go on for ages he seemed to think that me doing these shorter pieces did he even suggest that? I mean, it usually starts off. It usually starts off. Do whatever you want, man. <laughs> yeah. And then you like, and then you come back. You with... try a few things and like, yeah, but uh, I don't yeah. know if that that whatever you want is like the right. Sure, whatever sure. you want. No, this is great. This is just not what we're looking for. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. The main thing I wanted to know is like, how long should it be? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, somewhere around thirty, forty minutes came back to me, and then I think. It was more interesting for me to have it be these little pieces that made up way more, way more fun for me to make it like that, you know, in that way. And one of the things I actually enjoyed about, which I think helped tie this whole thing together, the cool thing about, and I always even thought about this with you know, in the granddaddy days, the cool thing about instrumentals is you get to call them whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not tied to like, yeah. You, know, you can come up with these really absurd titles and just like that actually look good on paper. After listening to your record, I just, I went back and I just went on this whole like aughts post rock trip, like explosions in the sky. Those guys know how to name it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the earth is not a cold, dead place or something. They, the, those instrumental guys know how to name a song. Yeah. And it's like, that's kind of half the fun. Yeah. I was able to do that with this. And then I would, 
it was somewhere between like actual real things and real themes, things that I was seeing, things that I was going through at mm. the time, but I was allowed to come up with these sort of colorful titles. And that, that actually set me on my path, which each song I found myself actually trying to, you know, whatever image was, whatever image came to my mind by looking at that title, I, that gave me further focus. You had the title before the song? Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes. Yeah. Most of the cases it was, it was the title or the imagery I was spending a lot of time alone and I was actually doing a lot of cycling. I was in a new area. I kind of live on the water, like outside of San Francisco. So there was a lot of freighters. There was a lot of uh, shipping stuff happening, but then there was a lot of, there was a lot of loneliness and somewhere between spending way too much time by myself Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and being by the sea, (laughs) uh, That that was a good starting point. That's a good that is a good cross section of existential dread right there. <laughs> but I mean, but it was also I don't know. And then like once you factor in the instruments, you know that nylon string guitar yeah. was kind of adding like this sort of deserty sort of western western thing to it. And then the synths, you know, are just like these super thick and gooey. You know, that's just like instant atmosphere. So you and I, I think a lot of that became like, you know, the night sky and uh, a lot of natural elements. So everything just kind of started like gravitating towards each other. And, and like all these different scenes and scenery and imagery started kind of just like falling into place. Were, were you thinking about the collective projects and, you know, the fact that so much of what they do is kind of based around atmosphere, you know, uh, found footage, scenery, things like that. Was that playing a role in the songwriting or was that just kind of a happy coincidence? If anything, I think Aaron was, Aaron, my buddy Aaron Espinoza at Dangerbird was, um, he was excited that I was just kind of, I was going to go there anyways. Okay. He's just, he kind of, he knows me really, he's okay. one of my oldest friends. He knows me really well. And yeah. I think he just thought I was going to bring that regardless. So probably knew that, you know, uh, along those lines, it was going to be a good fit. Um, we actually ended up, uh, teaming up with this Mind Palace studio who ended up making a short film that's accompanying the whole thing. And those guys just really, I mean, that's where I think it really, kind of bumped up to this next level because mm. I, I, I had individual ideas for each song um, or like where my head was at, you know, uh, where, you know, what was happening within each one. And I, I wrote them out some brief explanations mm. and, um, and they just like, they just went to work and they kind of tied together this, like this 20 minute. So there's like this 20 minute film that is going to be presented along with uh, like this sort of, condensed 20 minute version of the music as well and it's like it's kind of amazing like it's like that's the part that like i've i've seen it the music and the film yeah. combo and they're because it once again they were teamed up with me because they're the, they're like this really resourceful like super creative that's like stop motion but it's but it's mm. but it's not but it's like and it's all done by hand and it's all really really elaborate but scrappy, but like beautiful and it kind of homemade, but like Grant, they messed around with like lots of lighting and it was, it's everything from like scenes in grocery stores to like, you know, these freighters kind of going across, you know, over the sea with like, you know, 
like one of the songs was actually it's called Sunlight. Uh, wait, it's called Geese Over Sunlight Ace, and like Sunlight Ace is this freighter. It's the name on the side of this freighter that I saw in dock like for a long time. And I had this image which I have a lot. It was like imagining, you know, in, in the middle of the night, somewhere out in the open sea, you know, these migrating geese that are like you know, thousands of feet above. I don't know if you've ever seen footage of like geese migrating. Mm-hmm. They they just they do do like this brief chirping thing. Mm. They're all just kind of talking to each other. Yeah. In, like, in the V formation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's something magical to me though, about like sort of like the, the loneliness, but like the, just the idea of like this freighter out on the open sea in the dark and maybe like, you know, a couple of crew guys just out there smoking cigarettes and then like a thousand feet up in the air, you know, these geese just, you know, in the middle of like some thousand mile migratory uh, trip, just like, chirping to each other so one of the songs i'm actually attempting to emulate that whole mm. scene like with uh with the guitar and with the synth but um that was that's one of the scenes that pops up in the film as well um there's a lot of there's a lot of sadness and sort of stark stuff but like there's deserty stuff and then there's like you know night sky stuff and then there's like ocean stuff and then there's like you know, grocery store stuff. <laughs> you come back at the grocery store. pretty impressive. Yeah. And, they, and they've tied it all together in like a pretty magical way. So you've got this title that's like, a, it's like a short story, it sounds like. And you've got this whole idea of a story in your head. When you say that you're emulating it on record with the instruments, what does that mean exactly? Does that just mean some like abstract feeling that you get when you think of that? Or the it, the sounds of the geese in this particular instance? Yeah, no, I mean, literally, I was just like making squeaking sounds. Yeah. And like doing a multitude of them and kind of chopping them up and running them through these reverbs. And just, I don't know, you just, at some point you just kind of go into the zone and you just like, this is what I'm after. I'm not going to stop until I've arrived. And that's just years of, you know, utilizing recording tools and just like whatever knowledge I've gained, like learning how to find sounds. But as you can imagine, the challenge this time was only working with the Juno 60 and the nylon string guitar. But, yeah, you can get a lot of sounds out of those two instruments. You said Aaron kind of knew what he was going to get out of you in terms of, like, the direction that you were going to go in. But obviously, most of us, when we're thinking of your music specifically, we're thinking of, you know, the the, the indie rock stuff. Do you feel like this is indicative of a broader general direction that you're going in musically? Is this this where you are at this point in your life in the music you're creating, or is this kind of a one-off? It's definitely opened my eyes to... I think it's good for my confidence to, mm. you know, to know that I could really do something completely different. Well, I, I lean pretty heavily on the fact that I, you know, I love using lots of different instruments to make a song. I actually really love the idea of like, you know, using real drums, using drum machines, you know, using piano, using since artificial stuff, organic stuff, you know, you know, doing, having vocoders, like mm. be like, you know, harmonies with like real voices. And just like that became a challenge of mine to see how cohesive I could make songs with like as many different types of instruments in them. So I think sometimes I may lean a little too heavy on mm. that. So it was kind of cool for me to partake in this exercise where I literally just had, I mean, I was able to use plugins and processing like in the computer. I gave myself that, that leeway. Just using those two instruments was kind of a fun exercise for me to see if yeah. I could make it interesting, Yeah, you know, and not just like, you know, fall asleep and 
I mean, because, I don't know, it is actually a good record to fall asleep to. But exercise to me sort of indicates that it's not necessarily the direction you're going in, but sort of something that you were trying to see if you could do. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely, this isn't, this isn't some new direction I'm heading (laughs) off into. I actually can't wait to, like, go back to, you know, my kitchen sink process of just, like, loading songs up with as many instruments as I possibly can. The sense of sort of solitude and the sense of, you know, like really kind of, it sounds like creating music alone top to bottom in this case, you know, that you were, you were alone during the whole process. I mean, is that the way you see yourself making music going forward? Obviously it's very different than creating music as a band. I have a lot of experience doing it that way. As a matter of fact, most of the band stuff I was doing it that way. I was given the, I was put in, put into the position of overseeing the writing and the production and the recording. And I actually preferred, there was only a number of uh, circumstances where it was actually other people involved, um, aside from the drums. Aaron Birch played most of the drums and the granddaddy stuff, although I played a lot of the drums myself. But I actually, it got, it became understood early on that, that that was the best way for me to work you said before that you got put in that position do you feel like you put yourself in that position i had the most interest yeah i had the most dedication i had the most focus it was you know there the songs were my babies like i like all of it was yeah they were my creations and they were i think the one way that we were most unique though as a band was that we kind of had this whole live entity that was basically taking these compositions that I made and translating them into a live situation. Mm-hmm. And we actually did a pretty fair job at it. Like, and everybody kind of like, that just sort of became like the way that we did it. You know, it only made it weird because, you know, towards the end, you know, when the whole tour cycle was done, the obvious exhaustion came from that like everyone else just took a break and kind of like and i was i was back to work again and just like this whole you know i was if i wasn't completely busy you know in one Mm -hmm. sector it was like then it was time to be completely busy in the other one so i think that's where i started really wearing down after a while you you feel like at this point you have a healthier relationship with your music oh absolutely yeah absolutely uh, and I, there was a period there where it was pretty much that's why I had to shut the whole thing down was mm-hmm. because there was the possibility that I was just going to like not like any of this anymore. Like it was just like it was just going to get like firebombed out of my brain <laughs> and I didn't want to have anything to <laughs> do with it the earth. I had yeah. to get it back. I had I definitely had to I had to let it I had to re-nurture it and um, find the reasons why I loved it again. Dig around in there and <laughs> find those reasons again and they're on this record uh yeah i mean there's definitely there is there is a a sense of fun and wonder and playfulness that i think that i hope is going to be a part of like every album or every sort of you know recording that i make you know i think it should be fun i think it should be you know even if it's dark or or not necessarily pleasant in subject matter, I think I think the process should be enjoyable, and it should be like fueled by passion. Doing it because you feel like 
something kind of special about what you're doing? I think all that stuff existed while I was working on this. There you go. That was Jason Lytle, Granddaddy. His new record, Arthur King Presents Jason Lytle, Nylon and Juno, is out now. As I mentioned last week, this is the second of three Arthur King interviews that we're going to be presenting. Thanks so much to Jason at Randy Randall. We'll be coming up next week. Thanks to you, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify youtube now like us on facebook if you've got any feedback it's rolcast at gmail.com follow us on tumblr that's rolcast at dot tumblr.com that is the first and best place to get all of your riyl related information and that's about all we got for this week so stick around because we're gonna be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl